everyone, this is McCool and the gang, and we're here with Tanya Mellett and Mark Gordon. Hello! Hi! Hi! <laughs> How are you both doing? I'm very well, thank you. Just, you know, one day at a time. Yes, indeed. How are you, Mark? Ex- excellent here as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, can't complain. Very good. Uh, seven and a half out of ten. <laughs> Possibly eight. <laughs> I like it. So we're here to chat about various things, but I just want to give people a bit of background on how we all met because it's kind of a funny situation because I met you both um, separately, but you've known each other for years, which I think is mental, like the the way the world works. So um, it would be great if you could each kind of give give people a bit of an insight into what you do and, and like how you're kind of dealing with lockdown. So maybe Tanya, you want to go first? So I'm Tanya and I am predominantly a songwriter, vocalist and producer. Um, I've been writing songs and making music for a very long time now. Um, Been in various bands over the years, done a lot of like backing vocals and, and vocal work with various people. Yeah, at the moment it's mostly, mostly co-writing. And um, I suppose my best known work these days would be some tracks that I co-wrote that were on Killing Eve seasons one and two. You've seen Killing Eve, haven't you? Yeah. We watched it together. Oh, we did? We did, yeah. We watched it when I was in Belfast. So we did, yeah. So we did. Was I going, yeah, I, I co-wrote that one. See that? But there, there's me on the backing vocals as well there. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you were telling me about the, um, you know, the end, the credits song. Oh, Expectations. Yeah, I've been watching season three and every time that comes on, I remember what you were telling me, like the um, the vocal score and how it was really interested and like... Oh, yes. No, even recording that was just brilliant fun yes um, it sounds it yeah and and um we were being like conducted and everything yeah so tyler the chap that arranged the the, the backing vocals and harmonies for that track um when he was like teaching it to us and then con- conducting us recording it it was just really brilliant fun but uh, yeah if you listen to the track you know it's <laughs> Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, and me and you have written a few times together since we met. Yeah, so well, we met we met in Nashville, of course. Yes, which was great—a really great writing week that we had there with some some other friends who I know have been on your podcast already. Yeah. Yeah. So I was when I was chatting to you in Nashville. That's when I realised that you knew Mark already. Yeah, because me and you, Mark, met on a similar songwriting camp in LA, which was like specifically for film and TV. Yes, we so we met at the uh, BPI or DIT, MPA, just all all the UK music acronyms <laughs> got together and thought it would be a bit of a giggle to do like a songwriting part of this thing that had been happening in LA for years and years and years, which is called the Sync Mission, which is when kind of up to 40 or 50, I guess, kind of rights holders or catalog holders go across to Los Angeles and kind of spend a week pitching their music to music supervisors. Because as we all know, you know, every other part of the industry is like on its knees, but sync and kind of music placement is still a thing. So when we met there, um, I had gone out there 
the in and the first year it was happening uh i had heard about it and the work that i do involves songwriting for media quite a lot because um composer mainly working i suppose in animation and kids tv stuff actually all the stuff that we co-write we co-write within the group of people who i work with so i rocked out there having really apart from like you know writing with people like tanya historically i had never co-written so mm. you know there are all these people who rocked up 10 o'clock every morning kind of full of like how you start to co-write a song so like maybe you play music or maybe you have a chat about the weather you find kind of you know some sort of icebreaker or something and i had no idea how to do any of that stuff so i felt actually to be completely honest massively intimidated by being in that situation but year one was good and a couple of the tracks i co-wrote um got into a couple of placements and then i came back for year two again same thing just kind of like can i join please um and we wrote together on day, I'm going to say day two or three, we wrote a song together. And you were very good at co-writing songs. And you, I felt like you had done it before. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, you, you have an amazing voice as well. Because the song that we co-wrote together, um, it was for a specific scene in a specific film. And it required, like, I feel like almost like a kind of 90s TLC on Vogue kind of thing. Yeah, I channeled Tony Braxton so much for that. Yeah, so I remember because I am, unlike Tanya, I am no singer at all. <laughs> and I remember that you were, there's that thing in kind of co-writing any song where you get to, like someone's got to step up and do the vocals. And that's the point at which I'm like, Sudoku, here I come. <laughs> and I felt like you were in the booth for about two and a half hours layering all this sort of stuff. I love it. But the song was really brilliant. And that's how we first met. What a privilege to say, oh, yeah, we met in a studio in Los Angeles yeah. with like Gruff from the Super Furry Animals yeah. and some other songwriters. <laughs> it was it was amazing. Yeah. L.A. is is an interesting place because, Tanya, you spent some time there um, recording an album previously. Yes. Yeah, I lived there for a year. It was a great experience, actually. Met loads of really interesting people. Like you'd just be, you know, randomly having a coffee somewhere after going for a run and then you'd be chatting to these people and you know, what do you do? Oh, I play bass. Oh, are you in a band? Yeah, I'm in the Black Keys. Like, what? <laughs> so, you know, you're just like randomly meeting people in the industry and like everyone you speak to is like, oh, you should meet this person. And yeah, really interesting experience. And I ended up doing a lot of recording there from myself and um, also doing a lot of uh, vocal stuff uh, with David Holmes and his uh, band Unloved, who are still going. And I started off just doing uh, backing vocals for that first record with them. And um, then sort of towards the end of that recording process, they were like, well, do you want to do some co-writing on this as well? So I ended up doing like four tracks on that album and just you know to be doing it in like just amazing studios with amazing equipment as you can imagine all this like really vintage stuff very lucky to be in a situation like that yeah so, yeah it was it was really cool yeah i, I think it, my experience it i think i love la it's such a great place and you're right like you do meet loads of people and everyone seems to be in the same field obviously it's like a, a massive hub for film and tv <laughs> um but it's interesting because for me um 
as a songwriter used to writing for my own um project i'm used to writing really autobiographically and all of a sudden to have to write not as myself in a way for a brief tanya i remember your you did a track in nashville that was to a brief as well it was for um batman uh, it was for Gotham. It was the show called Gotham, yeah. I remember listening to that and thinking, God, that that's really good. Like, they've really nailed that brief. So I just wonder how you both kind of... How you find work into that as a songwriter or as, like, a music creator. Definitely a bit of an adjustment, but it's still sort of storytelling, really, isn't it? So getting into the character. Mm. Natalie, when when you and I were writing together... You know the amount of time that we spent going. If you were in this situation, I mean, how would you really feel about this? And you know, you sort of talk about: Are you upset because of this? Are you upset because of that? Yeah. <laughs> or do you, I mean do do we care at this point about this person? Like, <laughs> how how much do we care? I feel like we don't care anymore about this. You know. Yeah. yeah. And it's sort of like trying to get into the character, so that then you can write from that character's perspective. I suppose. Hmm so nuanced mark what do you think so well i think i mean the question that you speak to comes down to whether as a person who's a musician and who writes repertoire for whatever reason whether you're kind of more someone who's more like a kind of composer or whether you're more a kind of songwriter because in the work that i do especially working on kids stuff been lucky enough now to probably write you know six or seven hundred episodes of kids tv mainly animation and some live action as well it's like all of that stuff is commissioned. So that's stuff that is not generated from kind of the fact that one day I woke up and I had a feeling and I wanted to articulate that feeling through music. So I kind of sat down and wrote a song about it. And it was like innate expression. Mm. It's a bit like the kind of, so you're Bon Iver, right? Mm. And you feel sad and you've been dumped by Emma and you go out to a cabin in the woods and you spend four months and you kind of like cry a lot and you write some songs. And then on the other end, it's like, okay, it's Tuesday and we have to write the song about the cupcake because like we've been told we're doing the cupcake episode. So it's like, okay, cool. Let's, let's do the cupcake song. It's like two things. It's like you can be the sort of person who's just into responding to that and finding like as much fun and creativity from doing that. But also you're kind of aware that there's like 90 or 100 people in a production pipeline for something that you're working on and the production can't move forward until you've got it right Mm. and right might not in fact often it won't be what you think is right it's what like three execs in london and two execs in new york and somebody in los angeles and someone else they might think is right so obviously you know we all know this you could do like your best work Mm. and it could be like oh do you know we just feel like you didn't nail it you didn't nail the cupcake yeah exactly it's like can you just have one more run at doing it and this time this time really be the cupcake (laughs) be it be the cupcake (laughs) so it's that thing whereby you know talk to people as i do like a lot um about kind of composing versus kind of songwriting and co-writing in composing the notes and the feedback can be absolutely you know they can be tough if you haven't nailed something Mm. that that is difficult and you need to have a kind of resilience that is different to if you're if you're co-writing a song and it's for you know something and then it maybe doesn't go the distance you don't get a kind of brutal set of notes back going you just have not got this correct in composing you know it's so kind of like feedback and notes based that you you get kind of 
you know, constructive criticism all the time and things. So as as I said, I think there's a different kind of sort of resilience that comes with that. And it is definitely like co-writing. I think it is not for everyone for those reasons, because it is difficult and challenging and it's not about innate expression. Mm. It can be highly creative, but it's just, do you know what I mean? It's just like a different mm. sort of thing. Your brain is in a different place in a way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And and for some people, like, as I said, for some people that just, that doesn't work. So yeah, it's interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Because I, I write sometimes like top lining for, for pop and it's the same with that because like with with my own like and I'm sure you're the same Tanya like with your own solo project you can be very precious I don't like anybody um trying to tell me what to do or trying to change it I'm really like no it's mine but with um with like pop songwriting for other people if if someone doesn't like it or they want something changed, you've got to just take that on board and like completely re- remove your personal feelings about it because it it's for them. So you, you really have to take a step back, and I feel like it's the, the in the in the same kind of way. Don't know how you feel about that, Tanya. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've worked, I've written songs with you quite a bit, and I I would say that you're very like determined for a certain not not sound but um you know how it should be i mean i suppose i I can only really think of like one time i co-wrote a song that i ended up not liking yeah it's not one that we did together don't worry (laughs) but so (laughs) tell me if it was as constructive feedback it's all good no no but even that at the end of the day you know i i didn't feel like oh today wasn't a good day do you know what I mean because like I said earlier you know it's, it's definitely an adjustment when you're writing for yourself or when you're writing for other people or, or writing with other people how, how would you find it writing for the uh, like collaborating for, for the Killing Eve stuff um I really like that the first track that I did with them happened really quickly I mean you know we had this amazing sort of it's instrumental piece of music to work with so it was only a few hours until we finished the rest of it and that track was uh, When a Woman is Around by Unloved which you can still hear on all streaming platforms mm, it's great yeah so because that one was sort of so well received it was just like yeah just do more do more keep going so once I kind of had my sort of like the, the, the confidence then that what I'd done the first time you know had been acceptable <laughs> yeah then then i was like the the gates were open then okay let's go do you think um the sound of the killing eve stuff dictates the songwriting because i think it's a really specific sound is it david kind of responsible for the sound of it and then that kind of dictates the songwriting in a way um yeah i think early early on i mean david had certain reference points for sure that I mean, you have to remember that the band came first before the TV show. I think it was kind of a bit of a coincidence that the TV show and the the music Unloved just happened to fit so well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he definitely had a vision for what he wanted them all to do together. So, because I was living in LA at the time and was hanging around with all those people. So there was like five of us all singing. You know, the vocals were very layered. There's a bit of a kind of Shangri-Las vibe to the whole thing. 
Mm. Yeah, it was really exciting. Like I remember I'm playing all these instrumental tracks and just sort of thinking, like, this is going to be fantastic when it's finished. Everybody hears this, you know. Like I was already a fan as a listener, you know. So yeah. then to be involved was really cool. Yeah, interesting what you said at the start. Mark, they hadn't done much co-writing before, or any co-writing before. I, I remember my first co-writing session, and it was terrible. <laughs> and it was so awkward. And what you were saying, Tanya, about us two when we're writing, we we just go deep into characters and deep into how you're feeling. And like, if you're comfortable with another writer, that you can do that. And you can just like say anything, and e- everything is acceptable. Yeah. Um, there's no kind of filter and that's what I love about um, co-writing because even more than when you're writing by yourself you kind of get into that headspace and it's so it's so strange like it shouldn't be that way but but it is I'm definitely not embarrassed anymore about that sort of thing yeah like I'll straight up burst into tears in the middle of writing a line because it's just so sad (laughs) or something in fact the last time that happened I was writing with uh, this guy in Belfast and literally halfway through the line I started crying and I sort of was like, well, I'm really sorry, you know, don't worry, I'm okay. It's just this is very sad, like what's happening to this character. It's when you know it's good. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. And he said, do you you think it's too sad? I was like, no, this is great. Like, it's making me cry. (laughs) So what is the listener going to think if it's making me cry and I'm the one that's typing it out, you know? Yeah. There's a great quote that I heard in a songwriting panel the other day. It won't get to the heart if it's not from the heart. And I thought that was great. Like, that's so true. That's nice. So both of you guys are in Belfast. And um, I visited Belfast earlier this year and saw you both and did some writing with Tanya. And that was really great. But I just want to kind of find out a bit more about the Belfast scene. Because I know, Mark, you have um, output the music festival. Yeah, it's a kind of busman's holiday from um, the day-to-day work, I suppose, which is, yeah, booking a conference. So I've always been kind of, like many people in music, when you're not kind of writing music and doing all the other sort of stuff, there is this calendar of conferences and whatnot, and go to South by Southwest and speak there every year, and a lot of conferences in Europe and the UK about sync and this and that and composing and stuff. Um, So I had the opportunity to kind of create one, I suppose, in Belfast, which... um, yeah, output been going for six years now and is a kind of fire hose for the local industry. And it means as well, I've been very lucky to kind of bring amazing people across to come and speak at it. So, you know, Amy LeMay, The Nightmare of London, or Steve Albini, kind of record producer from America, composers like Disasterpiece, who works in video games. We did something with um, public service broadcasting last year about the commission they did for the Titanic and whatnot. So, yeah, there's a really strong buzzy scene in Belfast and it's it's good to be involved in events that kind of amplify the sort of local community and the local music scene. Talking about output, um, I know Tanya, you, you did a panel for that as well. Yeah, that was great actually. That was um, PRS for music. What was that on? It was on the economics of being a songwriter. Is it a real job? I think we concluded that yes, it is a real job. I've co- well, for for many people, it's a real job, and for many people, it it is not. <laughs> it's interesting doing industry panels, isn't it? Yeah, it was brilliant. A really brilliant day. Loads of great bands played afterwards. It was well done, Mark. It was a really, really excellent event. Well, thank you very much. I mean, obviously, yeah, I've been to like 
a lot of different conferences over many, many years and really kind of thought very hard in running any panel or moderating any session or being a speaker on a panel. The only thing to think about is what the audience needs to hear. So what happens too often in conferences with speakers and especially the generation of speakers you know who maybe been in the industry 15 or 20 years they kind of have this slightly lean back attitude a lot of people tend to go oh well so here's a great story about something that happened in 1999 that really kind of articulates this point that I'm trying to make like nobody wants to hear that and I kind of really 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 push back from that you know the thing about it is in the music industry, because we're used to this part of the industry and being called upon to do kind of bits of public speaking, there's assumptions that are made that anybody who works in music can be a great public speaker by virtue of the fact that, you know, they're A&R in Columbia and they've signed, you know, a Brit Award winning singer band. I often think that like the first thing that a lot of people in music who do this kind of work and aren't very good at it should consider is, can I actually do public speaking? Can I actually be on a stage and give super relevant, useful, handy information to the audience? Because it's not enough to just rock up and be like, I signed Lissy and I signed, I don't know, you know, by virtue of kind of my pedigree and my chops, I should be allowed to kind of like have a voice and chat to you about publishing or, you know, online press or, or, or whatever. You know, I think it's brilliant that people in music offer themselves up to kind of speak in conferences, but like a lot of people forget the audience. And you can't do that. I agree. You know what? That makes me think of a panel I went to, and I won't mention who it's by. But (laughs) my pet hate in panels, especially music industry panels, is where they go, if you're good enough, people will find you. You've just got to keep going and it'll happen. And I'm like, bullshit? Can you please give me some actual practical advice on... Yeah. uh, I I don't care if people find me. I want to know what I can do what I can do. Yeah, people who take attitudes like that, it's almost sort of slightly patronizing. Yeah, so patronizing. I remember first time I went to South by Southwest and it was still fueled on the idea that an A&R person would walk into a bar that, you know, three people were standing in and see the band that were going to become yeah. whatever, the Foo Fighters. It's utterly ridiculous. So anyway, conferences, yes, they can be good. Sometimes they can be awful. <laughs> but hopefully the one that we do is good. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I need to come one year and check it out. That'd be lovely. But I, I, I think an engaging speaker is so important, definitely. And yeah, whenever I'm on a panel, I always try and think as much about the audience and about who's asked the question and what they kind of need from me. I think that's really important. The idea of uh, industry people being gatekeepers, which I think is bullshit because an artist can do a lot and then become some kind of gatekeeper like look at Ed Sheeran that I mean that is completely true Tanya and I were in a band together and we started in the mid 90s shall we say the second half of the 90s and at that point what's the band called the band was called Tunic and at that point it was the case that because of the way the media was working there were some people who were considered gatekeepers and at that point did have like a lot of power. Mm. So, you know, Steve Lamack in the evening session, we were lucky enough to do a lot of Peel sessions for John Peel, which kind of lent in a certain area. Um, you know, NME and Melody Maker, and that was a big thing as well. And, you know, there was a kind of make or break attitude that was really, it wasn't very, um, it didn't feel like a level playing field at all. It felt like there was like, 
10 or 15 people and that was it if one of them didn't really love you it was over mm. and it felt incredibly subjective so in many ways it is much it is a massive cliche but it's much 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 more of a level playing field in, interesting you mentioned tunic it, it must be nice for both of you to live in belfast and be such a big part of the music fabric <laughs> <laughs> I, I always get the impression whenever you're speaking about uh, you know who who you know in in the city and what's going on like i get the impression that you both are really invested in that yeah, I mean, as well as being in a couple of different bands together, Mark and I had a club night, which started in 1998 and ran for almost 11 years every Saturday night. That's a long time. That's a big commitment. <laughs> um, it was called Ski Bunny and basically it was indie, hip hop, soul, electronica, just kind of like everything all mixed in together and um, people seemed a little bit shocked by that because nobody else was really doing it so the night expanded quite quickly and within a couple of months it was probably sold out every week and continued to be sold out every week for the duration and Mark and I got to travel around the world as ski bunny DJs and play at festivals in Glastonbury and we got to go to Japan and play in America and Europe and it's amazing it was a trip yeah and it was also I mean we also booked um, a lot of bands because at that time in Northern Ireland the touring circuit was such that um, like it really cost a lot of money to play shows in Ireland because if you're a band you had to get a ferry across or you know fly across and the audience wasn't you know probably as, as evolved as audiences in, in the rest of the UK especially for more kind of experimental or difficult or kind of like alt indie or alt folk or alt electronica but we kind of having been in scotland and being so kind of lucky to experience so much amazing alternative live music you know as well as doing the club we booked bands under the same name ski bunny so we booked you know we booked shows by people like sparkle horse or we booked early shows by fridge which is now kieran hedden the dj uh fortet um uh, we did early shows by Snow Patrol and Two Door Cinema Club and kind of local bands as well. And, you know, lots and lots and lots of live music from the UK, Europe, America. Lots of bands that were on Domino Records, American mm. bands that we really loved that just couldn't get booked in Belfast. Yeah. And never really to make money, which sounds incredibly naive. Um, but actually it was kind of, you know, the compunction was if we don't book this band, Nobody will book this band, mm. therefore we won't get to see them. That'll be annoying, therefore we should probably book them. So in a very kind of indie DIY ad hoc way, we did a lot of that stuff as well. You curators. Well, yeah, and it was just driven by, you know, a really kind of selfish thing, which was, well, I'd like to see that band play. <laughs> like no one else is mm. going to book them. It was many years before we realized that it would have been cheaper for us to fly to any city in the world, <laughs> buy a ticket, <laughs> book a hotel, go and see the band in that city and just have loads of booze. <laughs> you know? I'm glad you did it the, the other way. Yeah, it was great. And I'm sure a lot of people are glad you did it the other way. Oh yeah, like people talk about various gigs that happened and then you know people put out their ticket stubs that they still have you know you'll get some amazing band and a really good local support and a club night afterwards for five pounds <laughs> yeah like you know we booked like the handsome family for three quid or something like that did they play mm bop 
<laughs> no, oh, not yeah, handsome. Not handsome. <laughs> no, no. God, the handsome no. family. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, we, we, yeah, it was, ne- <laughs> it was never to make money. We had no, we had no sense about doing that. Mm. I'm kind of interested in this idea these days of kind of people who are polymaths in music. Um, I find myself really drawn. It, the music that I love at the moment is is music that that is made by people who do lots of different things and they're all kind of creative and they're all awesome. So like easy examples of that kind of like if you look at like Nick Cave or if you look at Anna Meredith or if you look at someone like Jeff Barrow from Portishead who's now, you know, doing a record label and scoring and kind of playing in a band called Big. Or David Holmes, you know, somebody who's like a producer but also has a film company, has directed as well, does a band project but also does scoring. People who are the most interesting to me are people who are in like many, many, many different lanes in music. So they're not just doing one thing. They're doing lots and lots of different things. Mm. And if there's a kind of thread across what we've done in music, then it's probably the idea of being like a polymath, of doing like lots of different things. And not because of like, you know, the fact that we get bored easily or because we lose interest. You know, anything that I want to do, I want to do it really bloody well. It's the kind of classic lean-in curiosity mm. that sort of is what drives me personally definitely forward. Yeah. It, it, it's I think it's a lot about how you define yourself because a lot of people within my world, like solo artist, a lot of people just want to be defined by that and everything they do kind of fits within that project. It's like about how you define yourself personally and, yeah, the most interesting people, I guess, are people who have a variation of like uh, the way they express themselves creatively like pj harvey for me is a, is another like i she's my idol but i think she is a similar you know polymath yeah but even taking our club ski bunny as a starting point you know it wasn't just that we started you know marketing ourselves a bit more as ski bunny djs and getting to tour and then we started remixing other bands. And then because of the way that we were doing the remixes, then we thought, you know, we should probably just do our own record because we're doing all our own music and then taking the acapella from another band and turning it into a remix. So why don't we just like make our own record? So then we did an album. So the whole thing just kept morphing and changing and stuff pretty organically. It sounds like uh, the, the process. I was just about to say like very organic. Yeah. A lot of people try and force things and like by this time I want to be here and doing that. And you can't really do that in this industry. You've got to see. It's like um, doors just open, don't they? You don't know where, but it will happen. I, I completely agree with that. If you kind of have that attitude and if you are quite free, you open yourself up to meeting so many different people across so many different parts of the kind of creative landscape. How do we know each other? Because we've all done that. Yeah, right. So that's a perfect example, right? So then actually what you find kind of going forward is that you're sort of, not your address book, but you're kind of... That's a universe. Yeah, your creative cu- community. mm is really kind of interesting and sort of inspiring. I think a lot of people, when they think about networking, they kind of struggle because they don't realize that what networking is, in my opinion, is not networking. It's that you meet lots of people and there are people you want to hang out with and have a beer or coffee or whatever. And maybe you'll write a song together or do something together. Mm. It could be now, it could be 10 years in the future. That's what's brilliant about the way we've kind of like done our music and done our thing is that Mm. you get exposed to bazillions of people. And as I said, you can meet someone today and you could find that you could 
literally 10 years will pass. Mm. This has happened with me. And then there's like an email yeah. and it's like, oh, yes, that sounds awesome. <laughs> Let's go. And it's interesting thing about current situation that we're all going through and all this kind of additional time a lot of us have at the moment. Mm has given me a chance to have a think about some of these people I haven't spoken to in a while, met at various stages, you know, musically, and kind of getting in touch with them and going, you know, maybe now's a good time for a catch-up. And they're like, yeah, yeah, give me a call tomorrow. And then next thing you know, yeah, there's a collaboration happening <laughs> almost immediately. So, yeah. but I mean, even like when I came back from Nashville and I was like determined that I was going to just do as much co-writing as possible. And, and you and I had not been able to, we were not put together to write in Nashville. Mm -hmm. So I was keen that at some point we'd be able to write together. And then as luck would have it, I was going to Manchester to, to see a band play anyway. And that's when I gave you a shout and was like, I don't suppose you're free next week for a few hours and you were like yeah yeah let's let's book a studio and do that we've written a bunch together now haven't we yeah we've done some really good i always like our songs like i was saying like a second ago you know if you kind of meet people that you get on with and you think are cool totally irrespective of the you know songwriting or music or whatever thing you will you know mm. they will stay in your kind of sphere of consciousness this might be a good time for you to for you to tell the uh, dolly parton story well, we were very lucky in one of the shows that we did, and thank you, Tanya, for the <laughs> to yeah to write songs for Dolly Parton for a kids show that we did for Nickelodeon Junior, and to go to kind of Tennessee and go to a studio and I'm me, you're Dolly. That's insane. And sit there and play guitar and have her sing the songs that I'd written in Northern Ireland, and like everybody says, all of our careers contain so many completely unexpected moments. It was a super day because she was voicing a character. She was voicing a chicken <laughs> called Nolene. <laughs> Where did that come from? Uh, and so, uh, yeah, and, and, and her marriage was like, the one thing she will have done will be learn the songs. And she rocked in at like half seven in the morning, ready to work. And yeah, it was incredible. Wow. Dolly Parton as a chicken. I have written those songs. That's incredible. <laughs> Yeah, it is amazing. It's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And, and he won an award for it as well. Did you? Oh, what award? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're, yes, we're lucky enough to win a Royal Television Society Award for that. Yeah, which was incredible, actually. Because we were up against, I'll just say that we were up against uh, Line of Duty and The Fall, which obviously David scored. So, yeah, we we're very, very, very lucky. That's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. I still sort of can't quite believe it. I look at the photos and I'm like, uh... Yeah, it's hard to believe. <laughs> Just to let everyone know, that's your company, Mark, scored your music and that's your media. Yes. Music. Yes. The yes. cupcakes. That's it. The cupcakes. I mean, there's, you know, there's other stuff. There's know. other there's stuff. Like, there's like songs about teddy bears and fairies and <laughs> unicorns and stuff like that as well. I'd love to see the inside of your brain when you're doing that. We're, we're not limited. Well, thanks so much for coming on my podcast and uh, so good to chat to you both. Um, just quickly before you go, um, is there anything you've got coming up in the near future or in the long future? So for us at the moment, whilst in lockdown, the two parts of the screen industries that are continuing are animation and gaming. So we're doing a game for a Nintendo Switch game, which will be out, I think, next year. And then we're doing two series at the moment, one for Nickelodeon that's coming out in China and then one for PBS Kids which will be coming out, I think, in the autumn in America. So very much just kind of working on that. And also have been doing some writing with Tanya yes. <laughs> together, which has been, 
completely amazing. And where it will end up, we don't know. Yeah. To wait and see. <laughs> what have you got coming up, Tanya? What are you working on? So what have I got coming up? Well, at the moment, I'm just trying to focus on what things can be achieved at the moment. Two things, really. One, I am working on my solo album, which uh, started recording just before the lockdown. Woohoo! And then the other thing is doing a bit of film scoring. So yeah, hoping to have a, a short film to score. And then, mm. um, as I say, Mark, Mark and I are working on something together, which is sort of yet to reveal itself. But yeah, well, thank you so much for inviting us to do this. It's great fun. Really nice to chat to you. Thank you. It was such a pleasure. And um, no problem. Yeah, I hope you're staying creative throughout this time, and I can't wait to see you both in real life whenever that'll be. Let's write some more songs soon. Let's definitely write some more songs. Do 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 ha 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 ha. That's my new um theme tune. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks so much. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and follow to this podcast. I'm Natalie McCool, and you can find me and my music on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and also on my website, nataliemccool.co.uk. Thanks. I think you're a magnet, and I'm a magnet too.